0: Live
1: from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. song bloom on over texas from nashville tennessee i'm your host gary holt and joining me still social distancing out in albuquerque new mexico (laughs) is our our co-host bobby bell good morning bobby
2: good morning gary how did you know when we met over the phone in december of 2014 that we would set a trend for social distancing we've been practicing Uh, it
1: I've never had to Yeah, from from Nashville to Santa Clarita, and then Nashville <laughs> to Albuquerque. And uh, and by the way, Miss Bobby, some young lady sent me a uh, mask in the mail that I got yesterday.
2: So oh, did you get that? Ma- so you can be a masked bandit now and breathe. I will. <laughs>
1: I will. Yeah. I, I, the first time I went out to the grocery store, I put a bandana on my face. It almost killed me. You know, I was <laughs> fogging up and couldn't breathe. So now I have some well, real masks. So thank you for having yeah, they, those made. They
2: have a little, little Western print going on there, you know?
1: They do. They do.
2: Yeah.
1: I may, I, yeah. I may, I may take a picture and. Post that to social media.
2: I think you should. We should probably have everybody should do at a call, you know, put on your bandana. Who are those masked men and women, you know?
1: That's (laughs) right. That is right. But anyway, we have a fantastic show today. We're going to be celebrating Cowboy Poetry Week, and we have some unbelievable guests joining us for the Campfire Cafe. So tell us who's coming today.
2: Oh, my goodness. We have Margo Medigrano, Teresa Burleson mark munsert we got three of a kind
1: (laughs) three of a kind all
2: winners in my book yep
1: (laughs) that's right so we're going to talk a lot about cowboy poetry week and hear some great cowboy poetry and we're going to do that when we come back on the campfire cafe but right now let's listen to a great song by our canadian friend mr ryan fritz it's this great song cowboy cowboy
3: That big handsome day, yo Trailing doggies or looking for strange Your mind's on the whiskey you won't drink tonight Cause you're in a cow camp And it's mighty dry Cowboy, cowboy, why do you roam? Cowboy, cowboy, you can't stay at home Cattle are falling A lonesome wind's calling Cowboy, cowboy Why do you roam? First of December You left the cult timber Followed those cows down To that feed ground And you kept riding Your horse was even hiding What's with you, cowboys? You can't stay put Cowboy, cowboy, why do you roam? Cowboy, cowboy, you can't stay at home The Cattle is falling, a lonesome, wind's calling Cowboy, cowboy, why do you roam? Why do you roam? Cowboy, cowboy, you can't stay at home. The cattle are ballin' Ain't lonesome winds calling. Cowboy, cowboy, why do you roam? Cowboy, cowboy, why do you roam?
2: Welcome back to the award-winning Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Ryan Fritz, cowboy, cowboy, from his album Wind Blowing Buckaroo. Well, Cowboy Poetry Week is celebrated each year during April, National Poetry Month, here in the United States. And this year, Cowboy Poetry Week, I believe it's the 19th annual, we'll get a confirmation on that, is happening right now. Today's Campfire Cafe is all about cowboy poetry as we are in the midst of this week's celebration. And to kick off this special show, we are pleased to have with us Margot Medagrano, the director of CowboyPoetry.com, the finest resource for everything Cowboy Poetry. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe. She's going to give us a scoop on what's going on, Margot Metagrano. Welcome, Margot.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Good to have you back. I think this is our third year to celebrate Cowboy to Poetry you. Week with you, and we're privileged to have you. But um, I got a question for you. How did Cowboy Poetry Week get started and where did your interest in Cowboy Poetry come from?
4: Well, let's see. uh, Have I said this on the previous two shows that I fell into it and now I can't get out? Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) It there's worth repeating. That's great.
4: (laughs) I actually didn't know much about cowboys or cowboy poetry and
2: um,
4: let's see, more than 20 years ago now, I was working on websites for people and some friends of mine wanted to do um, something with cowboy poetry. And I uh, just just started doing the website. And there was also another international panic going on at that time. Y2K was looming. Oh, wow. And we, we launched the website on January 1st, 2000. And, um, you know, back then, people thought they were going to get rich on the Internet, and um, the people who started the site lost interest pretty quickly, and they just handed it over to me, and I it didn't take me very long to become quite interested myself and in what was going on, and I uh, went to the Arizona Public Poetry Gathering um, and really got a great introduction to um, the poetry and the culture, and so that's um how I got started and then after a couple of years of doing Cowboy um, I wanted to uh make it into a nonprofit organization and actually give something back to this community. And so Cowboy Poetry Week was conceived and during Cowboy Poetry Week our main program, which has been this year um uh uh ruined, I would say, is our rural library program where we send um, our posters, our Western art posters to rural libraries across the West and also our annual CD. But right after we sent out all of our posters, um, the the shutdown came. And so most rural libraries aren't even online now and, um, and are closed for the duration. But Um, We are having a great virtual um, celebration of Cowboy Poetry Week on uh, social media and at cowboypoetry.com.
1: Well, it's pretty cool to see all of the the poets that are climbing on to social media and doing poetry every day. And, and of course, you are just fantastic to all throughout the year post-cowboy poetry and some of the great poets, both living and dead. So thank you for doing that.
2: Thanks. I
4: love to do it. And I must say that both you and, and Bobby in particular have done so much for Cowboy Poetry Week with the um, featured poets that are on rendezvous with the writer and um, all of her posts. I and mean, she's one amazing energetic person. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, thank you. You know, Margot, when, when everything began to be shuttered um I, I, I knew our, all of our musician friends were obviously going to be impacted, but I knew they'd somehow they'd find a way to stay in practice and keep in front of a microphone. And and uh, and I and and that was true. They just went to um, Facebook Live and other things just in droves. I my heart was really cracking for our poets and our authors who don't don't often have those same thoughts about um, getting in. You know, figuring out another way to get in front of folks, especially the written word, you know, is a little more challenging. And we run the Buckaroo Bookshop every year at the Santa Cruz Cowboy Festival. And we had author friends with books launching in time for that festival. And one of them came to us and said, could you figure out a way to, you know, promote us? And so that whole idea of the daily pinch of poetry and dose of imagination was born and um what a fun time i'm having <laughs> It's just been great. and i so appreciate the support of um everybody because we are getting tremendous numbers of views so i know it's being shared out there and so i that was my hope that it would grow legs and that it would be a place another place that poets and authors could be found during this time
4: And I have heard from people um, just yesterday, Ken Cook, a great cowboy poet and rancher from South Dakota, said how wonderful it's been to be able to read and listen to all of this poetry and what a great distraction it's been in this Mm -hmm. difficult time. So Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I I agree, it's had the same effect on me. Yes,
2: I do. do. do I
1: You You just (laughs) absolutely share the history of the West through the poets. And of course, without the cowboy poetry, we'd never have the cowboy music that we have. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. so it's a great tradition. And you've done a great job of having people uh, all across the country go to their state governments and declare cowboy poetry week state by state. So that was a great idea. That was
4: a great idea. That wasn't my idea. That was Francie Ganji, who's a broadcaster from South Dakota, um, many years ago, came up with the idea and started it. And this year, I thought we wouldn't get any, um, once again, poets and others reached out to their governors before everything shut down. And I thought, well, there's no way we're going to get um, proclamations from governors who are pretty busy doing other things. (laughs) In fact, we received a good handful of them, and uh, some of them are poetry themselves, uh, particularly the one from Texas. Governor Abbott is very uh, beautifully written about the importance of cowboy poetry and how it's uh, part of the history of Texas and but many well, it, other states this year, too.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great, great history, and uh, and again, if we didn't have all the cowboy poets and the poetry they're doing, we wouldn't have nearly as much great western music out there and so but you've done a great great job presenting that and i'm going to tell you when you listen to this cowboy poetry it can bring you to tears it brings back great memories for so many people of another time and it also will make you just laugh your head off so (laughs) it's a it's a great combination of stuff and uh Margo, thanks for taking the time to be with us today again and share a little bit about the history of Cowboy Poetry Week and, and your involvement in that. And thank you so much for everything that you do.
4: Well, you're so kind. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. And talking about making you laugh your head off, this is a great poem from Miss Teresa Burleson, our next guest. It's called Cowboy Courtin' Time. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Teresa today on the Campfire Cafe. Margot, thank you again.
4: Oh, thank
5: you. When Romeo went courting, he climbed a balcony, and some men will serenade you upon their bended knee. Leander swam the Hellespont to reach his lady's side, but when a cowboy comes to courting, you get a pickup ride. Sometimes that pickup's even washed, will wonders never end? But most times he's brought along his trusty cow dog friend. That dog will bark a welcome, and you know what that means. You'll have paw prints and dog hair upon your new black jeans. The cowboy opens up the door and holds it while you enter. You know he's getting serious because he seats you in the center. And that cowboy reeks of cologne, half a bottle, you can tell. You wished he'd shared it with his friend, who has that doggy smell. A hairy face on one side and a mustache on the other, and both of them are squeezing in till you think you're going to smother. You sit there in the middle like a rabbit in the hole. The one is merely drooling, while the other's drooling skull. It makes a body ponder the strange queer twists of fate. It makes you sometimes wonder which one really is your date. The cowboy puts his arm around and hugs until you hurt. And then he starts to pawing, uh, the dog, that is, your shirt. You're snuggled in between, just a pawn within their game. It don't matter which way you turn, cause they kiss about the same.
3: <laughs>
5: now, many years have passed since Corton changed me from miss to missus. But I must admit, I've grown to love. Those cowboy cow dog kisses.
2: <laughs> uh, Teresa Burleson is an award-winning poet whose poems are inspired by her personal experiences, her heritage, and the Western way of life. With a clear, soft Texas drawl, the performances of her poetry are beautiful, soulful, and aim straight for the Western heart or, like we just heard, the funny bone. She has received multiple awards from the Academy of Western Artists and the International Western Music Association. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe the 2019 International Western Museum Association Female Poet of the Year with a voice that the bard himself, Wadi Mitchell, once declared is like silk. Teresa Burlinson, welcome, Teresa.
5: Oh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I want to point out that Cowboy Court in Time, the poem you just played, was written by Elizabeth Ebert. And we lost her just a few years ago, but we must uh, carry on their works or they will be forgotten. So I wanted to be sure and put, put, put that on my last CD.
1: Well, thank you. Well, it's a great one. It's a great way to start this visit a little bit. But So how did you get involved in Cowboy Poetry?
5: Well, I don't think we have enough time for the whole story, but um <laughs> when I was little, I remember maybe in the 3rd grade we were we were learning about rhyming words and it became a game for me in my head to think of words that rhymed and then as a teenager I wrote horrible mushy love stuff and then um <laughs>
0: just,
5: You know, just, I'd always loved poetry, and then uh, it was the very first Red Steagall Cowboy Gathering, and I went to it and heard Larry McWhorter, Joel Nelson, (laughs) J.B. Allen, oh, who else was there? Oh, I think, I think Buck Ramsey was there. Um, And I was, it was like a religious experience for me when I heard their poetry, and I just uh, started writing my own, and uh, was it's a really long story, but I got invited to the Lubbock Cowboys Symposium by default because somebody else canceled, and someone there from the Durango Gathering heard me, and I got hired at Durango. Somebody at Durango, from Sierra Vista heard me at Durango, and I got hired for there. And it just goes on and on.
1: <laughs> Been a pretty good ride, hasn't it?
5: It has. I've really, really been blessed.
1: Well, it, it, going to these gatherings, not only do you have a great time sharing your poems with folks, but it's a great time to meet different people and develop friendships that last a long time.
5: It is, and the Western music genre is like one big family. A Western entertainment genre, I should say. It's like one big family, and every time we go to an event, it's like a family reunion.
0: Except
5: you like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: gosh! Well, I tell you what, there have been enough husbands and wives that are not talking to each other after this uh, social isolation that's yes. been going on. So, yeah, that's that's you can relate to that. You know, you love your Western family, but it's maybe a little bit better than the family family sometimes. So sometimes,
2: cool.
1: yeah. That is Teresa, cool. can
2: I? Can I jump in? Um Gary, can sure. I jump in with a couple questions? Um sure. Teresa, I know that our our listeners are listening of course um because of the topic today, but we're so honored to have a couple of award-winning poets with us. I just I have a couple questions about poetry itself. For instance, mm-hmm. um you're you're pretty prolific. You've got a number of CDs, you do a lot of original material. Do you have a writing routine at all? Uh I have to be inspired. Something has to
5: inspire me. Um, sometimes I feel like my ideas come from heaven, um, mm-hmm. but it, it's um, sometimes it's a challenge, and sometimes I sit down and it just flows. Mm-hmm. You know it. Mm-hmm. So as far as routine,
2: no, probably not. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you keep. Um, you kind of keep track of um, thoughts in, in some way that maybe will lead to something. Do you, do you jot down something, or talk into your phone, or how do you, yeah. how do you kind of trap the ideas that, that, have, that come to you? Both of those ways. And I have learned, uh, especially the
5: older I get, if I don't write it down somewhere, I'm going to forget it.
6: And <sighs>
5: so I have scraps of paper in my purse, all over the house and I have notes in my phone um, and sometimes I, because I drive an hour to work um, I have plenty of time in the morning and the afternoon to res- to uh, work on memorizing my poems and if I have a poem I'm working on I can always speak it into my phone while I'm driving without being too much of a danger.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: When you when you write a poem, are you thinking about um, how it will read as text or how it will sound in performance? Does that make sense? I see a lot of folks yes, it does. You know, That's posting a great text. That's yeah. Yes. That's a
5: great question. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me, how come you don't have poetry books? And part of that reason is because. When I write a poem in my head, I'm reciting it as I write it. And so I'm working on the meter as I go and stuff. But if somebody else reads my poem, they'll put emphasis somewhere where I didn't intend for it to be. Or, you know, it won't, for, for me, and this is just my opinion, which that and a dollar I buy you Coke. But I just, I always write my poetry on how it will sound as it's recited. I don't have any books. Anyway, so the only way you're gonna hear it is if it's recited. So mm-hmm.
1: Very interesting.
5: Okay.
2: Very yeah. interesting. I uh, think well, we're gonna do yeah. one
1: yeah. we're gonna do one now called Grandma's Legacy. Anything you wanna tell us about this one?
5: Um, that one uh I just held the pen. I think the Lord wrote that poem uh for me. I just it just came out and and I just it's one of my favorites.
1: Well, it is a great one, and it's called Grandma's Legacy. We're talking with Teresa Burleson today on the Campfire Cafe.
5: Precious memories, unseen angels, sent from somewhere to my soul. After Grandma's passing, it came time to pack away her possessions. It was a reminder that day that death is one of life's hard lessons. She was a good woman, loved by all and taken before her time. Now the ranch will be divided up into his, hers, and mine. While cleaning out a drawer full of long johns and woolen socks, I came across my name written on a brown cardboard box. I took off the lid and her familiar floral fragrance filled the air. I no longer felt alone. It was as if she were standing there. Inside the box were just a few of Grandma's special things, like an embroidered hanky and her and Grandpa's wedding rings. There was an old black-and-white photo of Grandpa dated 1958 and a rusted Southwest cattle raiser's sign that used to hang on the gate. And there, beneath it all, was her Bible, with the cover cracked and worn, the same one she would sit and read in the early hours of the morn inside it she'd marked pages and written notes here and there some scriptures were underlined and she'd highlighted the lord's prayer little scraps of paper were tucked between its old yellowed pages each one held a bit of wisdom that would last throughout the ages there was a marker in saint john chapter 3 verse 16 and a letter with her prayer that I would come to know the king. So in the days that followed, I read of Jesus and his miraculous deeds and how he loves us all and he supplies all our needs. And I learned about the devil and how he came just to deceive, but how Christ would give life eternal if we would just choose to believe. I found a treasure in the items that grandma gave to me, among the things in that box, she'd left her legacy. Who would think? Packed in cardboard, I'd find a grandma's love. Who'd believe that in that box, I'd find salvation from God above? Precious memories, how they linger, how they ever Flood my soul In the stillness Of the midnight Precious memories unfold
1: Not only does she write poetry and recite it, she can sing. Well, Well,
5: I I am a closet singer and a closet yodeler, and I'll tell you, uh, I I'm, I wish I was a musician, but sometimes I'm glad I'm not because singing is hard.
2: <laughs> I, I, can, yes.
5: I, I can sing. I can sing pretty good in the car by myself because if there's a note I can't reach, I just change keys. But you can't do that in public. Oh <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. uh, gosh!
1: So I I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, How did you and Devin Dawson get to be (laughs) such
3: good friends?
5: Oh, um, I'm trying to remember. (laughs) I I think it was, I think I met her. I know I met her in the stockyards because, you know, she's part, a big, huge part of the Cowtown Opry. And, um, I think I had joined the Cowtown Opry as a platform to go and do some poetry. And this was a long, this was probably 15 years ago. And we just, we just got to be really good friends. We've written a lot of songs together. And of course she's, she's a, she's a sounding board when I write new stuff before I let anybody else hear it.
2: Well, she's a pretty good gal. Yeah. I love yeah. the videos really love about it. what Texas women say. Yeah, famous <laughs> Texas yeah. women yeah. say. I love that.
3: Yeah. I love and, that. And
2: now you're working on a podcast. You're um, Tell us just briefly about this uh, new radio project you guys are working on. Okay. Well, it's, it is it um, is the brainstorm
5: of Jim Austin. He is the um, director of the national multicultural western heritage museum that's located in the stockyards it used to be called the cowboys of color museum um, but then they got a more fancy name but um he has a studio there in his museum and during this time when everything is shut down he was trying to think of a way to promote the stockyards because if we promote the stockyards, we promote everybody in the stockyards and there's about mm-hmm. five different museums and all kinds of other things down there. So it was his idea and he, and, and Devin and I do have a presence in the stockyards. Um, so he asked if we'd be interested and we said, sure, because promoting the stockyards promotes what we do. I'm the director of the stockyards museum and Devin is uh, the, I forgot her official title. Uh, talent coordinator or something like that of the Caltown Opry. So Right. And yeah. we're excited about it. We've we've filmed uh two episodes and we're going back into the and it hasn't been released yet. Um it'll be the first Thursday in May when the first podcast will air. And um so we're going back in the studio on Monday to do two more episodes. That's fabulous. Oh minutes.
1: that's great. That is great. Well, what is it that Texas women say?
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like if you come and tell me that you're going to go to a certain person and and buy a horse, and I and I know that he's not honest, I'd say he's crooked as a dog's hind leg. <laughs> or if somebody does something, if something somebody does something. Silly or crazy, you'd say, I don't think your cornbread's done in the middle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard any of those. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. I like or that
5: if one. you've got a really skinny cowboy and he's wearing a great big hat, you could say he looks like a pissant carrying a potato chip.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh,
0: oh,
1: gosh. I love that. I love that. Well, let's get to another poem, and this one is called The Investment. Anything you'd like to tell us about that?
5: Um, well, several years ago, I was um, honored to be uh, hired to do some poetry at the Working Ranch Cowboy Association's Ranch Rodeo Finals in Amarillo, and it's huge. It's huge. And it's there's so many people there, but they're all ranch people and they're families. And uh, – I just saw this little boy that struck me. He um, he was well-behaved. He was respectful to his parents, even when they told him that he had to quit playing and to come along. He didn't throw a fit. Anyway, he just um, really impressed me, and so that's what inspired the investment.
1: All right, well, let's take a listen to that and come back, and we'll be visiting some more with Teresa Burleson.
5: Okay. He's a rowdy six-year-old and his mama's pride and joy. He looks like his daddy did when he was a little boy. His hat sits low atop his ears and the brim's a little bent. Beneath it are brown eyes, freckled face, and a nose that is skint. His shirt's buttoned to the top like his daddy does. There's a trophy buckle at his waist and a pair of leather gloves. He wears hand-me-down boots with tall tops that are blue. His jeans are tucked inside em like the other punchers do. He sure looks like a cowboy, and that's what he wants to be. But there's much more to him than the clothes that you see. Why, he's already learning honor and treats his elders with respect. It's a pride in what he stands for and just what Mom expects. He's not impressed by celebrities who have fortune and fame. His daddy is his hero, and he proudly shares his name. He helps with the spring works, and again at the fall gathers... He looks forward to the fun and he's learning what matters. When he's bigger, he'll flank them and stretch them out when they brand. For now, he'll do what he can and try to make a hand. Growing up a ranch kid teaches the value of work and play. His parents watch with pride as he takes up the cowboy way. They know you have to let them try and let them have a turn. And if you don't take them with you, they will never learn. He is cherished with a gentle love that is kind and firm. When needed, he's disciplined with a hand that is stern. This little boy is an investment in a heritage and tradition. To teach a child the way to go is a God-given commission. Now, he may choose a different path than the one his parents sought, but he'll always have the ethics and the values he's been taught. Right now, he's only six years old, but... One day he'll understand. It ain't about being a cowboy. It's about being a good man.
1: Oh, that's great. That is great. Well, Teresa, we have run out of time for this segment. We're going to bring Mark Munzer on in just a minute. But how can people find you?
5: And and um, I my website is Poet dot com.
1: Okay. All right. And, and, uh, and, uh, and of course you're on Facebook and uh, we're going to look forward mm-hmm. to that new podcast as well.
5: Yes, sir. And I'll, I'll have it out there so people can find it.
1: All right. That's great. That is great. Well, you have thank been so much fun to have holidays. on. Well, thank, thank you. you. It's been a blast. Thank you. And uh, so we're going to say bye, Teresa. And right now we're going to listen to another great poem by Mr. Mark Munzert called Dog on, and we'll be back in just a moment. Ferriers always Bye-bye. arrive
7: on time, and nothing ever goes wrong. Old Tom's travel partner is his Dog on Dog. You'd hear Tom's truck coming a quarter mile away, stirring gravel and dust with a half bed of hay, backs the rust bucket up to the center aisle door, supposed to be here at two. It's quarter to four. His dog in Soo Stream prefaces feet to the ground, gives a nod and unloads without uttering a sound. Out comes anvil, clippers, files, tools of the shoeer. Never much to say, he's pretty well a doer. He ain't neat, quick or fast, steady at best. Likes easy, but he'll tackle tough if pressed. The doggone dog likes to chew on the clips. Doggone dog don't listen. He nips. They'd been here afore. Seemed fine to me. Petted him once, but mostly let be. Tom's hammering a shoe onto Bailey's fore, the doggone dog under to grab a clip from the floor. Tom swings at the doggone dog to move him away. The doggone dog was determined to stay. I'm holding Bailey, lead line in hand. Tom swung quick. Alas, he fanned. I bent low to shoe the doggone dog away. That doggone dog made me pay. That doggone dog bit in right where the thumb meets the wrist. That doggone dog clamped and shook with a twist. I'm tore open and blood took to stream, muttered under my breath, stifled a scream. I kicked at that doggone nipper and nearly flopped. That doggone dog took the clip and off he hopped. Tom couldn't help but raise from his task and in my misery began to bask. It happened so quick and Tom took to bellow. Never before laughed, the stoic fellow. Tom's hushed as he sees the volcanic bleed, says he's sorry about the doggone dog's deed. The doggone dog under Bailey aiming for another clip. Tom yells at the doggone dog and swallows his dip. I heard him exclaim in no kindly uncertain terms, about burying that doggone dog to be eaten by worms. Just about time, Tom reaches the doggone mutt. Nervous Bailey recoils and kicks Tom in the butt. Tom's launched across the barn, head first to a stall. I thinks he's dead. Then he started to crawl. Slowly he stood, covered in poop and shavings. Tom spit out a tooth with expletive ravings. 13 stitches for me and dental for Tom. And the dog on dog, dog gone.
3: <laughs>
2: Mark Bunsart, <laughs> dog on from his CD. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm laughing. <laughs> from his CD, day working. And Mark is our next guest. This talented, charismatic ranch man and a descendant of horse folk describes his work as poetic parlance and whimsical reciting to make you smile, laugh, cheer up, and ponder. I tell the stories and lessons of cowboy life, horse and cow wide open spaces, ornery characters, blue skies and starry nights, tragedy and triumph. Mark is the twenty eighteen National Cowboy Poetry Rodeo champion for serious poetry and runner up for the humorous category. And twenty seventeen inductee to the Adirondack Cowboy Hall of Fame. Please welcome the Cowboy Cafe, a day working cowboy who dreams of horseback days and evening campfires. Mark Munzer. Welcome, Mark. Hey, how are y'all? Hey. Hey, hey Mark Munzer.
7: Hello, Gary. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. How are you, my friend?
7: I'm socially isolated, but doing well.
1: We all. <laughs>
7: Aren't, Aren't we
1: sir? all? Well, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked our first two guests today. How did you get involved in cowboy poetry?
7: Oh, good heavens. Um, I really don't know if I really know the answer. Um <laughs> I started writing in a journal more out of depression than anything else and then simultaneously I was writing a newsletter for a log home company I worked for and just for kicks I rhymed some things and people kind of liked it and somebody said you ought to write about what you know a little more and I said okay and started writing a little bit about uh, mishaps and and uh, you know successes in the in the world of horse and cattle so that's what I did, and that's how I got into it. I was actually doing a, before my first performance, I was doing a horsemanship clinic uh, with another clinician down in Tombstone, Arizona, at the Tombstone Monument Guest Ranch, and we heard about this uh, cowboy poetry gathering up in Benson, a little outdoor affair. Yeah. We rode up there, and... Um, I was encouraged by a, a number of people there to go ahead and try it. And I went up there and stumbled my way around the stage and stammered over my tongue and words and managed to do okay. <laughs>
0: but <met laughs> some really
7: good, good, encouraging poets there. Uh, Jeff McKay, Les Buffum comes to mind, Tony Argento, mm-hmm. Eddie Harrison was there both as musician and poet. So that was a, a great experience. And I think I knew maybe five poems and, uh, that's what i did those five (laughs) wow then i got to meet baxter black that evening which was uh you know to uh, be on a stage where he was coming up next was uh, a big thrill because the only experience i had with cowboy poetry prior was seeing him on the johnny carson show
2: yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep i remember uh, that
7: so it was kind of fun and that's how i got into it and then started going to a few of the uh, started writing more of course, and then started going to some of the gatherings and uh, had met some very encouraging, wonderful people. I think Teresa nailed it you know family a family reunion with people you actually like and um and the friendships <laughs> um, the welcoming attitude was just fantastic so i
1: wow you know
7: hats off to a lot of people. I could go on and on with names, but um Thank you to all of them. And thank you to Bob wow. Jean and you, Gary, for doing what you're doing, and to Margot for her yeoman efforts year-long with what uh, she does to promote cowboy poetry. And probably the reason I stay at it is because I love the Western and cowboy lifestyle, and I want to keep it alive. I really appreciate the values and principles and ethics and, and the lifestyle. That's
3: why I do what I do. Well, I'm going to tell answer? you. It
1: did answer it. It did answer it. Bobby, I met, I met Mark for the first time when he came down for Rendezvous 2017. And uh, mm-hmm. and he offered to come down and be part of that event. And I'm going to tell you what. A lot of the folks he didn't know, but by the time he left, everybody loved him. And they loved <laughs> poetry and and he has no expression whatsoever when he's performing <laughs> oh no
2: you know if he would only be a little you know animated if he could just you know be working a bit with a coach on that
8: <laughs>
0: yeah, i yeah. got to
2: meet him i got to meet him in albuquerque at the at the gathering and in november finally got to meet him and oh my gosh mark what a kick he is to be around and, yes, I watched him in the poetry competition, and um, he just had us, yes, very animated, so enjoyable okay. <laughs> as an audience member, so enjoyable.
1: Well, he's great. great. Mark, you're great when you do your hum- humorous stuff, but you kind of like your serious stuff. And um, this is one I talked earlier in the show today about the fact that cowboy poetry can make you cry, it can make you laugh, it can make you go back and think about times past and kind of precious memories, but this is one that can make you cry. It's called When Cowboys Cry. Can you tell us a little bit about this one? (laughs)
7: Um, I wrote that poem after uh, the Texas Cowboy Poetry Gathering. I think it was in 2015, and don't quote me on the date, but um, we went to a cowboy church on Sunday morning where R. W. Hampton was to give testimony. and Jeff Gore, um, another fantastic performer and preacher, uh, took a knee and said a prayer, just the two of them up front near the near the stage that they had set up there before R W went up for his testimony. And I was jotting things down on a napkin and on the uh, program, and I think I wrote most of that poem right there that day. Mm. <laughs> With, wow! Uh, while I was in church, yes.
0: <laughs> wow! So,
7: um, it was a that was quite an experience. That one <sighs> that experience continues to move me. Um, after that service, and it was a Sunday, of course. After that service, before everybody had left as they were leaving enrolled a pine casket mm. local rancher had passed away. Um, one of his grandsons put the saddle on top of the casket the other grandson put his cowboy brim on the casket, so it was a it was certainly a moving day,
3: to yeah the least. yeah, yeah,
1: okay, folks, get your hanky out. Because this is When Cowboys Cry, it's Mark Munzer.
7: When Cowboys Cry Seldom times be they far and few between You will not know it, nor will it be seen But if it's the truth that you must know Well, yes, tears of cowboys surely flow He'll stifle this dream and look away But his head can't keep his heart at bay Might be talking to his maker or pondering the fate of kin. Might be doubtin' and regrettin', both gets under his skin. Might be listening to the anthem as old glory flies. Might be happy as a lark as a newborn baby cries. Might be ponderin' the lives of them whose trails he's crossed. Might be wrenching over others whose earthly souls are lost. Might be reaching for expectations that aren't being met. Might be striving to get there, but Dad burn, he ain't there yet. Might be lamenting or a horse that's gone before. Might be reckoning that soon they'll ride once more. You wonder what makes him as strong as you think he is. It's that ability to feel. It's that deep heart that's his. Crying ain't for the weak. It's sweat of the soul. Them without tears. Pays a heap heavier toll. Always and ever a cowboy's heart's a fill, but rarely, if ever, will you see it spill. But if it's the truth that you must know, well, yes, tears of cowboys surely flow.
1: Wow, I've got my tissue out. I've got my (laughs) tissue out. Oh gosh, yeah, it's starting. I'm starting to run out of paper products. I don't know about how you guys are holding up, but yeah, toilet paper is going, paper towels are going, and tissue has gone. So anyway, but that <laughs> that is a that is a great point. That is a great point. Well, you are so animated and so good when you do a live show. How about doing something for us live right now?
7: Oh, absolutely. And uh, given that you'll be leading into the uh, equestrian portion of the show, why don't I do something a little bit of a little horsiness to it?
1: I'll take that. This one
7: is the, sure, this one's called Peril. The sunshine rebounds the snow as hooves crack the thin layer of crust that blankets the underlying layers of white. Frosty breath emits with, whoa, no need to tug on the reins, just trust. That the next hoof drop forward may not be quite right. Our eyes fix forward, fighting the glare of the down landscape, chock a block of trees that yield but inkling to movement in the woodlands. Flared nostrils and tipped ears worn, we stare, both knowing something is amiss, we freeze in our tracks, silent, still, with no need for commands. Hushed in our noiseless you waiting, wondering what it is that affects stop. From our appointed rounds and what will transpire to slack us of immobility. Thick, moist airways anchored to our mustering as tense, taut muscles disposed for levy at first sounds or sight of danger, engagement, or rapturous hostility. A flashing displacement of light and ground snow sailing around the base of Bristlecone and Douglas Spur whilst haunches descend and plan for flight. Rollback, catapult, driving gallop, we are bailing. With snow trail launching rearward, I peer into blur to see sight of that which caused our fright. For fear of dying, I'm near about crying, and my steed is hot footing like there's no tomorrow. Will I ever again see my kin or honey? a flash of brown or was it tan bear or lion? I'm thinking no, I'm praying this don't end in sorrow. It's right on our heels it's a it's a ferocious bunny
2: <laughs> it doesn't matter How many times I hear that <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, gosh. oh, gosh.
0: Well, Mark,
1: you are absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing better than seeing you in a live performance. And um, so do you have you have some things that haven't been canceled yet that are kind of a place where people may be may be able to go see you?
7: Well, uh, the big one that I'm really hoping and praying that will continue is the Arizona Cowboy Poets Gathering the first weekend in August. You know, hopefully okay. we can get that one in. That's uh, that's one of my favorites, and I have many. Um, I have some. Uh, unfortunately, lost a lot of gigs this particular week, um, trying to back Margot and the uh, efforts of the Center for Cowboy and, uh, Western Cowboy Poetry and doing the rural libraries, even where I live. And uh, I think I had seven of them set up, and, of course, they're all closed. So wow. that was a, a bit of a bummer. But, um, you know, got some dude ranch things coming up up near where I live and then a few other things, um, a couple equine-type uh, events. So, you know, it'll get back. We'll all, uh, we'll all get through. I have another poem like that. But, yes, we'll get through it all, no doubt. We
1: will survive. We will survive.
7: Bless everyone.
1: Do you have a website?
7: I do. Mark Munzer, cowboypoet.com.
1: Mark Munzer, cowboy com, And then you can find him on Facebook. And, and he's been doing poetry to celebrate cowboy poetry this week on Facebook. So... If you're listening anywhere in the world today and you want to actually see what this cowboy looks like and get a little example of what we've been talking about, about his performances, you can go to Facebook and find him. And then you have a couple of other Facebook pages, don't you, besides your own page?
7: Um, Yep, I'm an administrator. Um, It was handed over to me back in 2014 when everybody else stepped back and left me standing forward, so I became the volunteer. I think we had 390 189 members the day I took it over. We have 11,452 members as of today with about uh, 3,000 active um members per week. So it's it's helping and uh, it's growing the genre and glad glad to be part of it. It's a lot of work.
1: As well, it's we a lot of work. You no. Know. Yeah, yes, but you yeah. do a good job. That's cowboy poetry. You can find cowboy poetry on Facebook, and then there's another one too that you're involved with.
7: I have a uh, yeah, another one, cowboy poetry gatherings, and that really is just a listing of the uh, gatherings across the
1: country. It's All right, cow- and you know. and thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing oh, that. My pleasure. But you're such a fun guy to have on the show, and you're fun in person, and uh, you always have a invitation to come to any of our rendezvous that we do,
3: We're because shot. You,
1: you just you just made it a big hit for the last one we did, and uh, and of course you kind of gave Fred Wool a rough time, that was kind of fun too.
7: <laughs> I sure like to do that.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Well, Mark Munzert, thanks so much for being with us today. And I'm going to close out this segment of the show with a great poem that you've done. It's a very patriotic poem, and I think it's a great way to end this. It's Mark Munzert and his poem, Home of the Brave. And Mark, thanks again for being with us today.
7: Thanks for having me. God bless.
1: God bless you.
7: The Home of the Brave is where parents haven't heard from son in 30 days where sleep staggers through a dread-filled haze. Long of day and short of night, they breathe on bleeding edge of fright. The home of the brave is where old glory flies with pride and the phone never ever leaves her side. Her every hope is for his safe call and every prayer that he will not fall. The home of the brave is where field hockey lost to sibling care because mom was called for arms to bear, where holiday gatherings had a missing link and tears rinsed dishes in the kitchen sink. The home of the brave is on base where stranded pull for one another, where they mourn with the flag draped coffin's significant other. A medal and trifolded flag posthumously the widow's award, fatherless children, an enemy, a war sourly aboard. The home of the brave is this day's colorfully honored resting places, too soon to be interring cold soldiers' faces. Today we will place a wreath upon their grave, forever grateful for our freedom they died to save. The home of the brave is where a young boy stands saluting, perhaps understanding as dad's plane lifts he wishes it was landing, where scouts don't attend father-son cause dad's overseas keepin' terror at bay the home of the brave is where pride runs deep for special ops and where we wonder at being new world cops we honor them as heroes when they fall too soon to forget they answered freedom's call the home of the brave is of heart and mind and soul where bloody war has taken its ugly toll It's where freedom still rings true, and by God, it's where troops fight too.
1: Well, it's time now for Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. And when we come back, we're going to be doing part two about Wyoming's wild horses with our very special guest today. Miss Becky Englert will be right back.
3: They were brought here by the Spaniards four hundred years ago. Fine horses in a strange new world, so very far from home. Some would break free And they called them Los Mestanios In this wild and rugged land They did roam. And they called them Los Mestanios The Comanche took to this horse As if it was their fate Heels and brakes and today the Mustang still runs proud and free the mustang.
1: and his song wild horses last week we talked about the uh proposal that the blm has right now for the removal of uh some horses at in wyoming's wild horse country and uh, today we're going to be doing part two of that and our very special guest today is miss becky englert she is a rancher she is a horsewoman and uh, we want to do a kind of a balance type show, so we're talking about the ranchers and the wild horses, and everybody has their own uh, sides and, and opinions to these things. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, and Becky is very, very knowledgeable, so welcome to the show, Becky.
6: Thank you, Gary.
1: So good to have you on.
2: Well, thanks you- for inviting me on. Well, hey you're Becky. So this is Bobby <laughs> Hi Bobby I just wanted, I, I just want you to know that i'm that I'm here too <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: oh gosh well, we, well that we're we're gonna just have a
2: fitting song
1: well, it was yeah it was. yeah, and I thought that was so appropriate to talk about the, the the topic that we're on today, but uh, we're gonna let you do most of the talking um uh, oh, and and, again, we like to kind of do a balanced thing. And uh, you're, you, you work on a ranch. Your husband works on another ranch. But you also are heavily involved with the horses. So kind of tell us about what the situation is out there in Rock Springs.
6: Okay. Well, we are we are on a ranch, and my husband works for another ranch. Um, the place he's on, they run pairs. Uh, the place that I'm on, I've been managing a separate place for about seven years now that runs mostly yearlings. Um, I guess a little bit about us: we get about anywhere from thousand to about eighteen hundred head of yearlings in for the summer. The wow. places we run on are: they do have BLM allotments, they have Forest Service allotments, and they have state ground. None of the places we run on run in common with wild horses, but like you said, um, we have a lot of involvement with the entire area, the county, um, with the horse program, with the BLM. We've adopted several wild horses and use them on the ranch. Um, we currently have eight right now uh, from various HMAs within Wyoming and Nevada. Um, a lot of Several horses from Adobe Town and Salt Wells and White Mountain, which are the herd areas that the BLM is targeting in these proposals. So right now, I guess what the BLM is proposing, they've proposed four different proposals, and they're highlighted in the draft RMPs that were put out in January. They're available online. It's a long, long document. It's about 170 pages long. And it goes through all the different proposals. It goes through how the vegetation in each of these areas would be affected, the other wildlife, the grazing permits, the oil and gas industry. And it goes through for each individual proposal how they would affect all those different implements of the multi-use land within the BLM. Um, The first proposal is called proposal a and it calls for no action Um, it means putting they would gather the horses down to aml and the herd areas that they're targeting are salt wells adobe town white mountain and divide basin so again with proposal a there would essentially be no action or status quo as it has been they would gather those AMLs which are those herd management areas down to AML which is about 4 or 1400 to about 2000 horses they would then administer PZP and they would keep all the same kind of protocol as they've been doing the wild horse viewing loop outside of Rock Springs which is the Pilot Butte Scenic Loop in White Mountain that would still be accessible it is from the standpoint of promoting the genetics, the unique genetics of these horses. In all honesty, it'd be the most viable option for continuing to promote these unique genetics on these individual HMAs. Let so, me let me e, interrupt
3: just a
1: minute. Let me yeah? let me interrupt just a minute because we may have people that didn't listen to the show last week, and okay. and uh, and and you're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about AMLs, and we're talking about. Uh, Uh, HMAs and we're talking about HAs and uh so what an AML is is that is a an allotment of uh, mustangs that should be in a certain area there are there are certain limits to the number of mustangs to balance things out between the livestock that have grazing permits and then the wildlife and and just the vegetation itself and then uh an HMA is a horse management area, and then there are HAs, which are what? I kind of forget what the HA is.
6: Okay, so AML is the abbreviation for appropriate management level.
0: Okay.
6: HMA is herd management area. With A herd management area means they are maintained as a reproducing herd, and they are maintained to keep viable genetics in those horse herds. A herd area is established or it's designated as a herd that is not reproducing. Okay. Which is in some of these later proposals, which is what's being proposed is changing some of these HMAs to HAs so they would be managed for non-reproducing herds. Okay. Does that helps.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, it does help. And, again, we may have a lot of people around the world that are listening to the show for the first time. And so they're like, what in the heck is an HMA and an Uh HA and an AML? And then you have the checkerboard area out there, which is comprised of uh, uh, lands that are managed by the BML, Bureau of Land Management. That's another set of letters that people may not be familiar with. And then you have... you have areas that are uh, uh, privately owned lands and they kind of are in a checkerboard thing. So you've got, uh, you've got sections that are both and you have um, really not much fencing. And so the wild horses don't know the difference between uh, an HMA or an HA. They never did learn that in school. And so the, 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 uh, The issue, I guess, um, Becky, is the fact that a lot of these horses are traveling onto some private lands, and um, that becomes an issue.
6: It does. It does. Um, The horses obviously don't know boundaries. They travel with the grass. They travel with the weather, just like any of your other wildlife does. Um, They travel to get food and water. And water is an issue in a lot of these b l m allotments or just in the West in general. Water is very scarce. Feed can be very scarce um in Wyoming in different various b l m allotments, there could be areas that it takes fifty acres to sustain one animal for a year. There's yeah. other areas where it might take two hundred and fifty acres it's wow. a lot the grass is a lot different to the Environment is a lot different. We're talking high desert country out here, where Mm -hmm. your summer temperatures are pretty extreme, and it's very harsh winters. So these horses travel a lot, and no, fences are no object to them. They don't know natural boundaries. And like you said, when this was established, a lot of this ground was checkerboarded with the railroad in order to have a railroad right away come through. So the majority of these herd areas that are being affected are the checkerboarded herd areas. They all have checkerboard lands in them.
1: Okay, all right. Um, a question, a question that somebody had posted last week after they did the show, and and we had talked about the amount of land that it takes to support one animal, and uh, and in some areas there's there's just not much graze I mean if you think about 250 acres to support one animal or 50 acres to support one animal uh, that's a whole lot of land and uh, the question that was raised is why are the cattle not dying of starvation or thirst like some of the wild horses and I think you and I talked a little bit about that the other day
6: we did so typically your BLM allotments are set for cattle grazing for a specific usage time. They cannot come on until a certain date and they have to leave by a certain date. So your cattle are only on the BLM land for a set amount of time. Your horses and wildlife are out there 365 days a year. They're not supplemented in the winter with hay like your ranchers do, bringing the cattle off the allotments and they feed them hay. So whatever is on the BLM allotments has to sustain not only the wild horses, but all the other wildlife, your elk, your deer, your antelope throughout the entire year. And like you said, when you're talking that area of a ground, it takes a lot of ground to maintain all those animals.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of sets things up for the listeners so that maybe they have a better understanding of this. And and I do want to mention um, that a lot of these ranchers, have their own land but then they also lease land from the Bureau of Land Management to, run their, to graze their cattle on but not for yeah. the entire part of the year so they get removed and we've got ranchers that are out there that have been ranching for generations and uh, uh, yeah so we have to be considerate I think in talking about solutions that support both the ranchers that have been there for generations as well Absolutely. as the wild horses that are out there, because we love our wild horses. And and uh, uh, another thing I want to mention real quickly, and then I'm going to just turn it all back over to you because you're oh, no. so knowledgeable about all this stuff. <laughs> but when in 1971, the, uh, the, the Wild Horse and Burrow Act was uh, instigated, there were just over 25,000 horses on the range. And uh, BLM was charged with managing this area, and so today there are uh, close to 90,000 wild horses on the range and another 50,000 okay. almost in holding facilities. So,
4: that is correct.
1: So um, it's changed a lot over the years, and there, there's it, just too many horses to be supported by the land.
6: Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm an animal person. I don't think you get into ranching that you're not an animal person because it requires a huge labor of love for the land and the animals taking care of them. But you are absolutely right. I mean, the land can only sustain so many animals. And so, like it or not, the horses need to be managed. Just like all your other wildlife species out there, um, BLM is managed for multi-use. So it's not just horses. It's wildlife your elk your deer your antelope you have oil and gas as well you have hunting and a lot of your wildlife then is in theory managed by hunting your horses are not and so therefore they need numbers need controlled in order to have enough grass to sustain them all healthy Um, therefore that's why the BLM gathers and then they go through and they put these horses up the ones they deem available guess good candidate for adoption they put them into the adoption program and make them available for adoption Um, there's such things as long-term holding facilities or eco sanctuaries that are also utilized for the maybe the older horses or the horses that aren't good candidates for adoption and like you said there are close to 50,000 horses right now off range on range, there's close to 90. Well, horses and burros, there's close to right. 90,000. Right, right.
1: So, hence the four different proposals that they have right now to try to get all of this back under control. So I interrupted you uh, when yes, you were fun. telling us about <laughs> when you were telling us about the proposals. So let me just turn that back over to you there.
6: Well, we can go the route. I guess there's, you know, there's, I'll tell you about the four proposals, and then we can kind of go into the history of these horses a little bit because they are pretty unique. So, okay. So, like they said, the draft RMP proposal that was put out in January, um, proposal A was essentially no action. They'd keep maintaining the horses as status quo. They'd gather down to AML, which is between, 1,480 horses up to 2,000 horses. They would administer PZP, which is a birth control for the mares. And it's typically it's most effective for about two years, two to three years. They would continue maintaining all the wild horse viewing loops, specifically the one in White Mountain, the Pilot Butte loop. which is very very easily accessible for a lot of people to go through and view the wild horses that is one proposal proposal b would maintain the same number of horses while in the planning stage of the hma however it would zero, end up zeroing managing for zero horses in adobe town salt wells and white mountain since they would be reverted they would be reverted into an HA, which is a herd area. They would not be maintained as a HMA or a herd management area any longer. Under this proposal, grazing permits would also be reduced. Okay. And proposal Sorry. C, it is saying it would remove all the horses and manage for zero horses in Salt Wells and Divide Basin. So again, they they're. Some similarities in them and there's just a few fine print details that are changed in all these four proposals. Proposal D is the preferred option by the BLM and it calls for Adobe Town in the north would be reduced to an HA, so a herd area, so again non reproducing. Okay. The southern portion of Adobe Town would be managed for 259 to 536 animal units, or AML. Divide Basin, Salt Wells, and White Mountain would then be managed for zero horses. This would end up closing, it's stated right on the RMP. it would end up closing the wild horse viewing loop. It it wouldn't close it, but there would be no horses visible on that wild horse viewing loop. And all these proposals, are along with i mean all the other data and blm reporting is available on that draft rmp that was put out in january the proposals specifically in this detail are listed on page four of it okay so yeah there's quite a few options out there um nobody especially the horses aren't going to win with your situation and nobody is gonna be a hundred percent happy with whatever is decided.
1: Yeah. And and what BLM uh, is proposing is that they've left a comment period open till April the thirtieth, uh, for for people to make their comments but support the comments that you make with alternatives and facts. They don't want you just to vote yes or no. That's not what they're looking for.
6: They're correct. looking
1: for ideas and solutions, so did want to mention
6: that. and right the BLM has a comment period open until April 30th and they're encouraging the public to write in Um, it's an online letter format that you submit and they're encouraging people to add their own personal comments their own personal thoughts read through the RMP, state what you're for what you're against what proposal you're for and against and write your supporting supporting evidence or your supporting documentation for that. Um, I know a lot of people don't have time to read the 170-page document. I've read it multiple times, and every time I read it, I come out with more questions and a better understanding of what is actually being proposed. The best advice I can offer is do your research, do your homework. If you don't know something or are questioning it, call the BLM, ask questions. Um, Pay, I guess, a lot of attention to the graphs and the charts and tables that are on this RMP because it highlights and it has listed on there the current number of horses out there, the proposed number, proposed, I guess, the past, future and present proposals on grazing allotments on your oil and gla- gas permits, it's all stated in the rmp okay and there's a lot of information in it um page 67 specifically talks about the oil and gas permit and like i said there's other pages on there that highlight i'm looking at my notes all the aml levels the all the descriptions like i said it's all on there um, the BLM, typically when they're making decisions like this, has a process they have to go through, and it's considered, I mean, I guess legal and binding by how the BLM or the government does their reporting. I'm not as, I guess, up to date on that. I know from our experience what the process is, but a BLM employee could better I guess explain those if people have questions, but they go through and do environmental assessments, which are studies of the land and everything that's involved in it, the vegetation, the soil, all your multi-use from hunting, wildlife, horses, oil, and gas go into these environmental assessments. They also do environmental impact studies and NEPA studies, which help to make these decisions or these proposals on what they feel is the best option for the land.
1: And if somebody if somebody wants to make a comment, they need to understand what the situation is there and and
0: they it need. will
1: help them to go through the R, R, R RPM RP, Thank you very much. Thank yep. you very much.
3: <laughs> but it it would <laughs>
1: It would help you to understand what's going on out there if you go through that so that you can can make some uh, good comments and, and offer some good solutions. And that's what they're really looking for on this. But uh, you were going to talk to us a little bit about some of the genetics involved with some of these horses.
6: Absolutely. So these horses, you know, the wild horses... Help shape well horses in general. Help shape the entire history of many countries. Um, a big part of the Western heritage is the wild are the wild horses and their contributions to history. Um, specifically, Adobe Town and Salt Wells area. They were, had a lot of cavalry remount horses. Um, the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid had a lot of horses hidden through different pockets in adobe town and salt wells area and some of those horses got loose and were part of what has created the herds nowadays um there was a basque sheep herder that had a vision for producing better horses and brought in three thoroughbred studs wow he was eventually murdered and those horses those three studs got out and intermingled with a lot of the herd, a lot of the wild horses and that's also helped contribute to the history of these horses in Adobe Town and Salt Wells. Um, we have done DNA tests on all the horses we have adopted, and every single one from this area has had Thoroughbred in them. So that Thoroughbred influence has been very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, Adobe Town and Salt Wells are also known, more specifically Salt Wells, um, for a high concentration of Curly horses. Which curly horses in themselves are very unique. Um, They they originated in the Ural Mountains of Kazakhstan, and there's some discrepancy on when they were brought to the United States or to North America. There's evidence that states the Sioux Indians had them in the early 1800s. The first documented case, though, of importing came from Tom Dixon brought them over from India in about 1880. Wow. Um, yeah. It's it's a very interesting history on the curlies.
1: Tell our listeners what a curly horse is.
6: Okay. A curly horse, I'm not, I guess, maybe as curly literate as I should be, but the basics are they have tighter knit, curly hair. They're not a smooth-coated horse like a lot of Traditional horses, but they right. have tight curly hair. Um, they're supposed to be hypoallergenic. Their personalities—what people have found—is they are a lot calmer demeanor. They are a lot easier to train. They're just an all-around more mellow horse. So, okay, it's it, they've made a big influence on those salt wells horses uh, in Sweetwater County in particular. Brooks and Henry Cappas, the Brooks and Henry Cappas Ranch had curly horses, a high concentration of curly horses. And that's where the curly horses from this area came from. So, um, other famous horses that have come out of Adobe Town and Salt Wells area, um, one is Desert Dust. He's been, I guess, a lot of history behind this horse. He was a Palomino stud that was caught in 1945 by Frank Wild Horse Robbins. And Frank Wild Horse Robbins was someone who the government contracted to help gather these horses before any of these Wild Horse and Burrow Acts came about. Um, the corrals that he used to gather a lot of these horses are still standing out by Wom Sutter. Wow. From... Frank gathering these horses, though, it eventually, and I guess the controversy or the story of desert dust, it led to the development of the Wild Horse Protection Act in 1959, which then led to the Wild Horse and Burrow Act of 1971, which was strongly pushed by Wild Horse Annie or Velma Johnson. Johnson. And so that's kind of a history on where that came from. Like I said, we've DNA would all the horses we've adopted. There's a wide range of history from them, from American Saddlebred. You've got Tennessee Walker. You've got Morgan, Paint. A lot of draft influence. Um, a lot of draft influence and Thoroughbred. And I guess.
1: Well, I guess saying all of that is to say that there there is a lot of there are a lot of desirable traits in these Mustangs, who, by the way, are not wild per se, but they are actually feral horses because they've come from somewhere else and intermingled with cavalry mounts and and all of these other horses. But they're very desirable for use, both in the West, where they used to be gathered up by the ranchers and used, and I guess still are to some extent perhaps, uh, maybe not gathered by the ranchers, but, but they're still used by ranchers, and and right. other people all, across the, all right. across the United States. So they're desirable animals.
6: They are very desirable animals, and you're right. The ranches, before these acts were, I guess, established, they did. They helped manage the horses. Some of it was controversial. I mean, there's no doubt. Because everybody has their different opinions on how animals should be treated, how horses are classified—whether right. they're pets or livestock—I mean, it's, it's obviously all controversial. But yes, the ranchers did use to maintain or maintain these herds. They would introduce new studs when they felt they needed new genetics. They would gather and use some of the horses themselves. As the BLM took over, obviously that's not an option right now is for the ranchers to maintain those herds because the BLM does it from our standpoint. um, We have adopted several horses. I mean, right now we currently have eight wild horses. Um, The balance of our horses are domestic bred and comparing the two, we have had far less injuries in the adopted wild horses and I say wild horses because that's the term the BLM generally uses right and all their documentation is a wild horse so we've had less injuries in the adopted wild horses they they've got incredible bone because um, it hasn't been bred out of them like a lot of the modern domestic horses they've been refined and bred for specific uses while your wild horses have had to survive, and their survival instincts are really intact. The bone is there. I mean, they've got incredible drive and incredible heart to survive. They've had to. They've had to adapt over the years. Um, they've got really good feet. A lot of times, um, depending on your situation and what you're doing, um, a lot of them, for most people, don't need shoes put on, just regular hoof care. hmm So we, like I said, we've adopted horses from Wyoming, Nevada, Colorado. Um, We've had the opportunity to work with, oh, I'd say probably three to four times as many horses as we've adopted, including horses out of Oregon. And they have worked out really, really well for us in ranching. Um, We use them for everything doctoring yearlings i mean doctoring all all types of cattle branding everything and actually i mean my kids our kids grew up obviously in this lifestyle we started taking them with us at two weeks old and oh wow the first horses they were on were wild horses i mean they were riding with us but we'd go out and go out to move cattle and when they've you know a couple years old they got old enough We'd lead them on a horse They'd get tired we'd pull saddle blankets And they'd take a nap And rest for a little bit and then we'd Saddle back up and keep going trailing Cattle out when we were gathering And they've used They've grown up using these horses The wild horses and domestic Bread Our kids I guess they're not your typical Kids they're like a lot of ranch kids They started dragging Calves at Branding's and helping rope out in the past year when they were about eight, nine years old.
0: Wow. And we've
6: trust, trusted them with these horses. They're, they're good horses. Um, to us, you know, a horse is a horse. You have to learn what their strengths and weaknesses are just as with anything people included, and they are perfect for any job you set in front of them.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, I have Tennessee Walking Horses. Mm-hmm. I have had them all my life. Uh, I love a gated horse, and there are some gated mustangs out there as well. There are. So, yeah. So I guess I'm going to have to get a Mustang because I talk about them so much, and uh, and so I'm going to I'm going to hunt for a gated Mustang. I think if I can find one. And uh, you know
6: they. They have them.
1: Yeah, I've they, seen a few. They
6: definitely have them. I mean, one one of ours that we have—he's a big motored, no quit in him horse, and yeah. he's got Rocky Mountain in him. And then another one has Tennessee Walker, and Morgan in him. So, and they're those two in particular are incredibly smooth. And I—I I know I sound like I'm really promoting these horses. I am they are good horses and I want to see them in good homes and I want to see genetics preserved but I'm in a unique spot because I understand the ranching side of things and I understand that animals, horses in particular need managed. I understand you have to maintain those good genetics in order to keep these horses you know available for adoption and easily accessible or easily trainable for the average person.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that we did not talk about last week. I don't think at all. But uh, but the fact is is that the the uh, wild horse herds or the mustang herds need to be managed to keep things in balance. We did talk about the fact that about every four years they double in number, and uh, yeah. so if you've got if you've got ninety thousand horses out on the range right now then in four years that becomes 180,000 horses and Bobby yeah. you can do the math but in another four years that'd be 360,000 horses or so and and that's just not just sus- sus- little, little. I'm trying to say sustainable,
3: sustainable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah. um yeah yeah so uh we need to manage the horses we need to be aware of the fact that the ranchers, as we said earlier, are, are have been ranching this land and utilizing uh, public lands through leases for generations. And so it's, Correct. it's got to work out for everybody. It's got to work out for it ab- everybody.
6: It absolutely does. And you know, if the horse herds aren't managed, they're not healthy. You're going to start seeing horses that are starving and I would as hard as it is to go to some of these gathers and see some of this stuff, because you can, I'm in a, like I said, I'm in a unique spot. You can look at it as an individual, and you can also look at it as a statistic and an overall herd health. And these horses, it's not pretty to see them starving. It's not pretty to see anything starving. And if you don't maintain the herds, that's what happens. Along with your vegetation goes down, so then, therefore, other species, not just cattle and horses, but your wildlife, your elk start getting affected, your deer, your antelope start being affected as well. Along with the soil content and your grass, you, when you overgraze, there's a lot more opportunity for weeds to come in, and then nothing can survive. You've totally yeah. degraded the land and the soil content. In order to keep... I guess your soil in good health, you need to keep some ground cover on it. Wyoming is known for wind. And if you don't keep some of your grasses or your sagebrush or your vegetation content on these grounds, the wind just strips them. And then there's nothing to help hold in the snow either. Because this is a lot of desert country where these horses are at. And they rely on the little bit of moisture they get in the snow to help... With the growing season So yeah You absolutely need managed Absolutely need managed And you know I know ranchers In some areas get a bad name But there's good and bad In everything There's
4: absolutely. good ranchers
6: And there's you know questionable ones um, A typical good rancher Is going to take care of the land They're going to take Because their cattle living the not gain that and, way. Yeah Right their cattle won't gain and they won't produce milk if they don't have good vegetation and they haven't taken care of the land. So you have to keep the adequate nutrients in the grass. Um, You know, a good rancher removes his cattle when there's a drought. Part of the requirement of these BLM allotments, and again, every area is different. Um, Wyoming is even areas in Wyoming are different than other BLM allotments in Wyoming. They're different by state. But the areas conduct grazing studies to de- continually determine if they need to reduce cattle or reduce horses. Um, you know, on some of these areas, they'll have you hold off on the BLM allotments for a year because they need to do a prescribed burn and they need the added fuel to carry the fire, which then puts more nutrients, nitrates back into the ground and helps clean up the grasses. Um, I'm trying to think. The vegetation in a lot of these allotments is very different. Um, It could be, again, different in Wyoming versus Nevada. Um, This high desert country, there's obviously a lot of sagebrush, salty sage, your rabbit brush, your Indian grasses, your wheat grasses, little bluegrass, and your horses and cattle while they both typically eat the same thing, horses are more nomadic, and they will travel further than your cattle. Depending on your cattle breed, they can be a lot more sedentary. Um, certain breeds of cattle are known to be more nomadic and travel a lot more. Another thing, I guess the difference between the horses and cattle, your cattle and sheep are ruminant, which means they have four stomachs. And whatever they eat, their body utilizes a lot more efficiently than a horse. A horse gotcha. has a simple stomach, and the feed goes right through them. It's how their body was designed because they're a predator or they're a prey animal, and they need to be on the move. And so they're more of a They're a simple stomach. And when a horse defecates, they can actually spread seeds from what they ate, whereas a cow uses all the nutrients out of it. Horse manure breaks down a lot faster versus a cow. And like I said, the BLM does a lot of grazing studies on this, there's private entities that do grazing studies as well. And one that I have found, I guess, extremely fascinating is Fred Prevenza. He was a Utah State um, professor and he has done extensive studies on grazing what species benefit each other, how you can get other, you know, species to eat, say maybe some of your non-native vegetation to help rehabilitate the land, Um, kind of get out some of these weeds that are taking over from overgrazing. Uh, There's just a lot, a lot of intricate details that all flow together to make this work. And when it works, it's absolutely beautiful. But like we've said, everything needs managed.
1: It does. It does. And I think that's what import. That is what is important. And, uh, <clears throat> so whether you are a rancher or whether you're an advocate, there's a difference between an advocate for these wild horses and an activist for these wild horses. And, yes. uh, Uh, If you do not understand the whole picture of how everything has to balance itself out, uh, if you just consider the wild horses and think they should all be running free forever and ever and ever, uh, you need to really take a look and examine what's actually going on uh, out in these areas because it it all has to balance itself out. And
3: uh, and hence the
1: challenge... Hence, the challenges that we face, and uh, as you said a while ago, Becky, everybody's not going to be happy about everything, but uh yeah. we we need to have some compromise out there and some valid solutions and uh if you're going to comment to the b l m you need to not only comment but you need to have some some solutions that that might be able to work. And, uh, correct man, we could, we could just go on and on and on we
8: could. Uh,
1: about this, about this topic. And it's gone on for years and I guess it will continue on because nobody's going to agree on everything, but, uh, no,
6: no. And I, like I said, I mean, I know the ranchers sometimes get a bad name on this, but there's a lot of improvements to the BLM ground that wouldn't happen if it weren't for the ranchers grazing their cattle out there, whether it be water improvements. Or, you know, just the rotation of the vegetation and the cattle helps improve the land. Yeah. So there yeah. are benefits to having the cattle out there. And it, like you said, it needs to all work and find common ground on this.
1: It needs to all work. I have, I want to thank my friend Ann Souders, who I know is listening to this show today, because she connected the two of us and uh and i want to have you back on a, another show becky where we just talk about you uh-huh. and your ranching <laughs> life and and if you go to your facebook page your personal facebook page you you work with sled dogs and all, you got an interest in life uh, young lady
6: i we do we do there's a quite a history behind those too but yeah uh,
3: well,
1: we'll have we,
6: to we talk do about all of that yeah yeah
3: yeah
1: so I, I've looked at your ranching pictures, and I've looked at your sled dog pictures, and I'm thinking, golly, this is an interesting young lady. Her whole family is <laughs> is, is interesting. And um, so we'll have to have you back. Can we do that?
6: I bet we could.
1: Yeah, and I kind of want to do a follow-up later on about uh, what kind of answers have been given uh, and what's going to be happening the, with the wild horses out in Wyoming. But uh, So we may have to have you back to talk about that, too.
6: Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you have been
1: great. You have been great, and uh, uh, I hope this has helped people uh, understand a little bit more about what's going on out there. It's going on not in just Wyoming, but we have the same problems going on in Different parts of the country as well. And uh, so I hope this is helpful. And you have been absolutely fantastic, Becky. Thank you so much.
6: Well, thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I hope it's helped.
1: It has helped. It has helped me. But uh, anyway, we're going to say goodbye to Becky, listen to a song from the High Country Cowboy. This is another song that you're going to like, Becky. It's called Wild Mustang Stallion and we'll be back in just a moment with Bobby Jean Bell, who has been very quiet for this last 45 <laughs> minutes
0: or so. <laughs> but we'll be back there in just a
1: moment on Saddle Up America.
0: Okay, thank
1: Bobby Bell, this has been a fun and a very interesting show today.
2: Yes, it has.
1: (laughs) So it's always good to have Margo on. We've, we've enjoyed celebrating cowboy poetry and the Cowboys and having Margo with us and Teresa and Mark, and then appreciate so much Becky taking the time and, uh, she actually did some research getting ready for this show and, oh uh,
2: yes, oh
1: yes, yeah, very informative and uh, uh we hope that we've presented a balanced uh presentation for these two shows. We certainly attempted to do that, but um uh, very, very interesting so we'll be we'll be interested to find out what happens out in Wyoming with these wild horses and um uh, And kind of follow that as things move along as well. So um, we had a great, great audience for the very first show of the Living Room Sessions last week with Joni Harms. And your good friend, Mr. Jim Jones, will be on the Living Room Sessions this Saturday at noon, Central Standard Time.
0: It'll be great.
8: uh,
1: yeah, Jim 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 is a is a really neat guy and a great author and singer and songwriter so we're looking forward to that. And then uh, next week on the Campfire Cafe, who do we have joining us?
2: Bob Marshall is going to be with us. He has a brand new CD. We're very eager to get that music out on the airwaves and to have Bob come on back
1: well we're looking forward to it i think it's been a few years since bob has been on the show and Um,
2: uh, i think since the release of screen door i think that was um his his uh previous cd and i think we had him on you know shortly after that but he's he's wonderful i'm really looking forward to having him on
1: yeah we look forward to talking with him and uh and so a lot of great music and a lot of great conversation on the equestrian legacy radio network with uh Campfire Cafe and Saddle Up America every Thursday at noon Central Standard Time. And then the new show with the living room sessions uh, that comes on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, I was just I, I was just really impressed with the numbers of people that are listening to the new show. And then the numbers for Campfire Cafe and Saddle Up America were pretty good last week. So I think most of the people just tune in to that to listen to you. For the Campfire Cafe.
2: Oh Well, I'd like to just say thank you to our listeners. Um, we know that now more than ever, you've got so many uh, podcasts available, or maybe you're binge watching, you know, catching up on favorite shows. And when you turn to listen to us, um, we really, really thank you.
1: We appreciate it. O- over 600,000 people last week tuned in to Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. And, uh, thanks so much. Like Bobby said, appreciate you listening. Uh, We're going to close out the show today with a great song from miss Mary Kay. It's called a song of Wyoming. I thought that was kind of appropriate since we were talking about Wyoming's wild horses, Bobby. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. So anyway, let's take a listen to that. We'll see you next Thursday on the Campfire Cafe in Saddle Up America and then on Saturday for the Living Room Sessions. Thanks again for listening. And again, this is the Song of Wyoming with Mary Kay.
8: I'm weary and tired I've done my days right Nighttime is rolling my way The sky's all on fire And the light's slowly fading Peaceful and Out on the trail night birds are calling singing their wild melody down in the canyon cottonwood whispers a song of wild. Well, I've wandered around the town and the city Tried to figure out the how and the why Well, I've stopped all my scheming I'm just drifting and dreaming Watching that river roll Here comes that big old prairie moon rising Shining down as bright as can be Upon the hill there's a coyote calling a song With whiskey and tobacco and bitter black coffee, a lonesome old doggie in I. But waking up on the range, Lord, I feel like an angel, feel like I'll. Dress like a cloud Out over that land Sing like a bird on the wing The wind in the sage Sounds like heaven singing A song of Wyoming